0: Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Canterbury
1: Gardens Community Church. My name is Shabu. I have the great privilege of being one of the pastors here. Thanks for joining us for our 1030 service. At our 1030 service, we've been going through the book of 1 Thessalonians. And this morning, we're continuing our series. And this morning, we're going to dive straight into it. So if you have a Bible with you, if you could turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. And maybe you're someone who's exploring the Christian faith, or maybe you've come across our channel for the very first time. We at this church believe in the God of the Bible. We believe the Bible itself is not just a book, but it's God's heart revealed to us. And so this morning, we want to continue understanding what God's heart is, both for us individually and for those of us who are part of this church family or actually any church. So, if you have a Bible, if you could turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. And we're going to have Kylie read the passage for us. Thanks, Kylie.
0: Hi, everyone. I'm Kylie, and I'm one of the youth leaders at Canterbury Gardens. So, today I'll be reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. Additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus, that as you have received instruction from us, on how you should live and please God, as you are doing, do this even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honour, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we also previously told you and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. About brotherly love, you don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God and love one another. In fact, you are doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more, to seek to live a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone.
1: Thanks, Kylie. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning and ask that you would speak to our hearts no matter what season of life that we're in, that you would speak both to us as individuals but also corporately as a church body, particularly as we consider this topic of holiness, as we consider what it means to live a life pleasing to you. So we pray that you'll set our hearts and minds now that through your Spirit, that you would convict us, change us, reform us, to grow in loving you more. Lord, I pray let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable through Christ for His glory and fame alone. Amen. Uh, friends, this morning I want to start with this question: If someone asked you what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what would you? What would be your Answer back to them. A while back, I actually asked this question to a friend who does not know Jesus. I asked him, Hey, what do you think it means to be a Christian? And here are some of the answers that he gave. He said, Well, it means not to smoke, because he was a smoker. It means not to swear, ever. And also, it means that you can't allow, you're not allowed to have tattoos, because he had a few, and, which means a few of us are already in trouble. It means not to have any kind of fun. And he said, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I'm not really sure what he meant by then. And then he also said, it's not to have, as Christians, you're not allowed to have sex. And I went, I'm sorry? And he went, he looked at me and I said, so no sex at all? And he goes, oh, no, no, no. You guys believe that you're not allowed to have sex before marriage. Isn't that right? And then uh, he'll continue to say, well, you're not allowed to watch any kind of dodgy movies, go to the cinemas, Uh, You you shouldn't watch any kind of uh, documentaries that are, you know, not anything based on the Bible at all. I don't know if you've had that kind of conversation with someone. Or what if uh, someone comes up to you and and you've you've been invited to go out socially with friends and they've started to have a few drinks and they say to you, come on, have some more drinks, and you say no. And they say to you, what's your problem? I know you're Christian, but it's not a big deal. You're not going to harm anyone if you have a few drinks, is it? Or what if they know that you are, are dating, and that you're a Christian, and they say to you, "Well, what's the deal? You guys have been dating for like six months, and you haven't slept with one another. You, you, come on." Well, what about in your workplace? Uh, at the lunch break, either in the tea room, hopefully not in the tea room, but somewhere, or maybe on the work side, and one of the guys turns around and says, hey, check this out, and shows you a picture or a video that has porn on it. And you turn away, and they say, hey, what's wrong with you? It's not harming anyone. What kind of response would you give if they turn around to you and said, why are you doing that? Or maybe uh, in Christian circles and in the Christian church, you've had these kind of conversations where someone has come to you and said, hey, I'm just struggling with porn. I'm really struggling to understand how to control my body. Also, um, I'm trying to understand, a lot of my friends are asking me, why don't you have a sex before marriage? And I really don't know what to say. And our response as Christians might have been, well, this is what the Bible says. Now, last week, Cameron did an awesome job in unpacking for us what it means to be a church that loves and cares for one another. He continued to show that the Apostle Paul deeply cares for this church in Thessalonica, a church that he wants to continue to encourage to keep on loving one another. And he finished with that beautiful prayer at the end of chapter 3. Now, the verses in front of us are either being um, questions that the Apostle Paul are addressing Now, either because Timothy's come back with a report and has told the Apostle Paul how the church is going, that it's going really well. Maybe perhaps they had some questions about this particular topic that he's going to dive into, or maybe he's observed some things within that young church. And so the Apostle Paul addresses it and wants to instruct this church. First up, He wants to engage and talk to them about how to live a holy life. What does it mean to live a holy life? And in particular, in this particular context, addressing the topic of sexual immorality and even idleness, actually. Now, friends, remember how I shared that sort of illustration earlier? And I guess that friend of mine, in some way, shape or form, he most probably had a few interactions with Christians. And his perception or observation has been they don't do certain things. And maybe that's what you've grown up with. And maybe you were told, you don't do these things. You're not allowed to do these things and so on. Maybe as simple as because the Bible says so. But I think in those moments, if it's just that answer, if it's just an answer about being moral, I think it's missing a significant point I think it's not giving a, enough of a deeper answer, and that is to ask the question, why? Why should we? Now, when we read this passage that you've probably just heard now, in 1 Thessalonians 4, and particularly in the first few verses, if you are a follower of Jesus, and particularly someone who's been following Jesus for a while, our response might be, yeah, I know what you're going to say, Shabu. You're pretty much going to say, just stop it. Don't do it. Or maybe there are some of us even right now thinking, oh no, sexual immorality, sexual failure. And already that guilt and those things that you know that you've been doing or shouldn't have done are starting to stir up. Or maybe there are some of us thinking, I've got this covered. I'm fine. I hope so-and-so is listening. Friends, whoever you are, I want you to pause for a moment and step back and ask yourself, ask yourself this question, why? Why should a follower of Jesus live a holy life? What's the motivation? What's even the point? So we want to consider the why, and secondly, we want to consider the how. Have a look with me in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 onwards. Finally then, my brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you perceive from receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you're doing, that you do more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honour, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Let me pause there for a moment. Now, As we've read this, and maybe particularly for those of us who've grown up in the church, as I mentioned, you might come in different kind of angles or or, or already assume what the answer is. And maybe you already know as you've studied this, you've already picked it up. Now remember, this church that the Apostle Paul is writing to is this young church that he planted and started and as this church is growing, he, he's heard of some, potentially some questions or, or observations that Timothy's had, and he wants to address this. Now, we've got to remember this church, their background, their history, where they're coming from, particularly the culture that they live in. The culture that they live in encouraged various sexual practices. Actually, sexual practices and sexual freedom were seen as a person's right? I mean, there was ceremonial prostitution, which was, norm, was the norm. There was the use of mistresses, which was encouraged. Even the use of concubines and multiple wives. Even house slaves for sex, that was quite common then, intertwined with their pagan worship by having sex in front of a deity that they worshipped. So this is all going on in the background. This is the culture that they're living in. And So they've responded to the good news of the gospel. And they may be trying to figure things out or maybe even wondering how do they live in this culture that is seeped in this kind of thinking when it comes to sex and sexuality. What does Paul encourage them to do? It's in verse 1. He says, you've been given instructions on how to live or rather how to walk a life that is to please God. That's his encouragement. And his encouragement is, hey, keep doing more. Go for it. Do more and more and more. Now, for some of us, we might focus on, okay, we just got to do more. No, no, no. Step back for a minute and see the reason why. What's the motivation? What's the point of doing all of this? Paul's encouragement is to do more and more. Why? To please God. This is the why to live a holy life. And this will always be the why to live a holy life. The reason why, as Christians, we are called to live a holy life is much more than a moral thing. Actually, it's because of our relationship with God. It's because we want to please God. It's about the audience of one. This is what it means for a follower of Jesus to be a holy one set aside for him. This is what Paul is encouraging them to do. And this is what he's encouraging them to do more and more of. That is to live lives that are constantly and continuously focused on pleasing God alone. Now, in this moment, if you picked up in the verse, he uses a particular word. Now, in other places, he talks about running the race of faith. But here, he uses the word walk. And your translation might have other things. But underneath this particular word, he's talking and describing someone who's focused. He's heading in one direction. That one direction is the only way that they're heading towards. As they progress along, so it's a slow thing, they are looking for opportunities. And they actually take those opportunities. So in this context, it's like saying, whatever you're doing, your focus needs to be to walk. Walk focused on God. As you walk focused on God... Keep walking ahead and you take every opportunity. That's that language of doing more and more. Taking every opportunity to please God with your lives. And that's one way that's already been explained is how well you love one another. So if you're a follower of Jesus, the question is, why are we living here on this earth? Why are we following our great God? Why are we committing to the things he commands us to do in his word? Why are we saying no to certain practices? Why are we committed to encouraging one another? Why are we um, stirred and encouraged and challenged and commanded to live holy lives? Why? It needs to go deeper than moral reasons. That's not deep enough. The motivation is actually about someone. It is about our great, gracious, and holy God. God. This is why. That is to please Him. Now, if we grow in this sense of motivation, I wonder, we'll be less inclined to focus and be led to legalism. If we focus more on pleasing God, that we will become less apathetic and take the seriousness of what it means to be holy. If we have the focus of our relationship with God as the motivation to please Him we realize we need more of him and we'll be prone to be less prideful and think we've figured it out. And if we're prone to more focused on pleasing God, we would not be committed to license and thinking, oh, well, we're under grace, so we can do whatever we want. No. So if we are focused on pleasing God, we'll see the seriousness of sin, also the call to live a holy life, but the motivation is... To please him alone. So, church, what motivates you? What, what motivates me as followers of Jesus to live holy lives? Or oh, may it be because we desire to live holy lives to please God alone? So that's the why. Now we want to consider the how. Now, um, Maybe you're considering this right now in your life as the uh, restrictions ease and the many things that are going on in your life. Or maybe you've asked this already to somebody else to maybe find an answer. I've been asked this question myself and I've even wondered it myself. The question is, what is God's will for my life? That's the age old question. Well, friends, there's an answer for you in this passage if you haven't already picked it up. Now, you can go through many moments or kind of focuses if you like, but here, this church that Paul is writing to, a young church that are designed to live holy lives, that are are being called to love one another, being called to to live lives that please God, Paul then wants to remind them what is God's will for them. This is actually part of God's will for them. In what way? Have a look with me in verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Yeah, friends, I, I think I've said this in, uh, in other moments, in other ways. The culture that you and I live in really struggle about the long process. When it comes to the topic of waiting, I think we're just not very good at it. I mean, what, what, what's going on? I mean, at the moment, if your internet is going slow, you're probably thinking, please go fast, this guy's talking too slow, I don't know. Or... We struggled to wait for anything. I can't believe that coffee order is taking so long. I've been here like for two minutes. I think in this season of lockdown and pandemics and restrictions easing and going back and potentially, you know, might go back again. Who knows? It's that moment of waiting. And it's almost like we have to go through that process. I don't know how your heart's gone. I've really struggled at times. Now, that might not be a helpful illustration, uh, the ones that I've just shared with you, but what, it, what, what is the thinking when it comes to our Christian walk? Um, how are we at waiting? How are we at, at allowing God's process of work through us? I've thought about this so many times. I don't know if you have. How many of us would love the kind of drive-through Christianity? You know what I mean. Like it's like going through the drive-through at McDonald's and you just order your food. I'd love it if I could go and drive through and say to God, "Dear God, these sexual things, these sins that I struggle with, these things that I, I'm really wanting to get rid of. Can I, can I just get you to fix it right now?" Hmm. But friends, that's not God's will for your life and my life for the life of our church, that there is a process that he wants us to go through. Friends, if you want to know what God's will is for your life as a follower of Jesus, the will of God is your sanctification. Now, this word... (laughs) is one of those theological terms, right? And and maybe you might be tempted to to kind of, you know, roll your eyes and go, here we go, he's going to go on to a bit of a rant on sanctification. But friends, it is a really beautiful word. This word is a theological word. It's a wonderful, deeply rich word that Christians need to learn to understand because it's a word that is a deeply encouraging words to those of us who are weary Christians. It's a beautiful, deeply encouraging word for those of us who are still figuring out what it means to follow Jesus. It's a deeply encouraging word and a warning to those of us who tendency to have pride in us to think that we've figured it out. This word has depth and beauty. Now you can look up any good biblical dictionary to find out what sanctification means. And maybe you already know what that means. And maybe you've come from certain traditions, have a particular leaning on how this particular word plays out. But in this moment, in this very context, in these verses in front of us, Paul is saying, hey, this is God's will for you. That is, for you to please God. And how do you please God? You obey Christ and his instructions. How is this happening? Well, this is worked out in a process known as sanctification. That is, God is at work in you and that he's making you and causing you to become holy as you obey him. As you choose to live a holy life that is focused on pleasing God. In its most simplest form, this this word means this is a life. If you want to know how to live a life that is pleasing to God, you go through that process of sanctification, that moment when we give our lives to Christ. We are His. And that moment where that, that, that process of transformation begins. and We are now day by day by God's mercy and grace. Growing to be holy. As author Andy Nasali put it, a Christian can say, I am sanctified. That is the position that they have. I'm being sanctified. That's the process then you're in. And I will be sanctified. That is what is to come. In other ways to say, there's the past aspect of sanctification. There's the present aspect of sanctification. And then there's the future aspect of sanctification. And in this moment, it's speaking of a process. This is the ongoing, maturing process for a follower of Jesus. Late, uh, Dave, A guy by the name of uh, Dave Paulson, a Christian counselor who's passed away, wrote a book on sanctification, and this is a quote from that book. It says, Sanctification actually starts when God claims you as his own. You are chosen, holy and beloved, but the process Becoming what you are starts as you make a turn from sin toward God. And again, sanctification is a journey, not a destination. The real key is the direction you're heading, not the distance you've traveled or the place you've reached. In other words, what he's speaking of is a picture of a, a long game. You know what? This should be encouraging words, weary Christian. That he's begun a good work in you and he will complete it. This is, it should be an encouraging word for you who feel like you're a fumbling Christian, constantly messing it up. Take heart. It's okay that you haven't figured it out. The point is, are you moving towards that direction of obeying Christ in all aspects of your life? This is his process in you. He's changing you. And this word is also a warning to those of us who think we've figured it out, are tempted to bow our nose at people who are not getting it right. We of all people need to be wary, weary of that kind of attitude. Because God gives grace to who? The humble. And he opposes who? The proud. We too should admit that we're still in the process. Many years ago, I had the great privilege to have a cup of tea with a lady by the name of Mrs. Coates. Mrs. Coates is now with Jesus. And Mrs. Coates and I had a disagreement on a particular theological issue, and so we caught up to talk about it. Oh, man, it was the most beautiful, deep, richest time I've ever had in my life. It stuck even to this day as I considered this particular word. As we talked and arrived on different points on this particular issue, we started sharing stories of our lives and she shared her deep, rich history of how she came to Christ and I was overwhelmed. But yet I remember even saying to her, like, you know, do you ever think you've ever figured it out? You know, like it's almost like an arrived kind of question. She just smiled and laughed and she said, no, I still need Christ. I still need Christ. I still need the cross. She knew that it was all a process of grace. Now, she didn't use the word sanctification, but that's what she's talking about. Even at her very age that she was in, she got it that she still had to figure out that God was at work in her as she moved towards him and focused on him. A great Baptist preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon, he said this, If he, that is God, gives you the grace to make you believe, he will give you the grace to live a holy life afterward. Another way to put it is this picture up here on the screen. You've got two axes. You've got one that's the awareness of God's holiness and then the other one is the awareness of sinfulness. And you've got those three crosses in front of you. Then you've got the very first moment that's before conversion where you're not even thinking about who God is. You have a limited understanding of your sinfulness and God's character. And then there's that moment when the gospel is revealed to you. And then you realise that you need Jesus to die for your sins and you become, in a little sense, limited to the growing awareness of both God's holiness and your sinfulness. But sometimes what happens is that Christ becomes small all of a sudden. We are tempted to perform or to pretend. So over time we forget to cling to the work of Christ. And so we resort to thinking we, if we perform we can actually earn God's approval. And then we can also maybe pretend and think we're actually not that bad. And So the cross shrinks rather than growing. But actually, sanctification is a reminder that all we have is to boast on the cross. It's a daily reminder that we need the gospel reminder of the cross is what bridges that gap for us. Because of our identity in Christ now, only through Christ, He enables us to embrace God's holiness, to own up to our shortfalls and sinfulness without trying to adjust the record. Now by faith, we can enjoy the fullness of God's blessing and we are free to love our God and love our neighbour. See, friends, at the heart of sanctification is to see the cross grow bigger and bigger in our lives. To see it, that we definitely continue will constantly need the Lord Jesus, and to be reminded that this is God's will for you, for me, for us as a church. And it's not only until we seek truly see this, then only do we realize what it means to please God. This is why we need to see that this is part of God's process in us and that is connected with pleasing God. Then only we have the right motivation, but also going through that process to avoid or cut off sin. And here, Paul specifically wants to talk about sexual immorality. This is God's process. And so he, he's spoken of from setting the foundation of how. And then with this very statement, he also then continues to say, it's not just sitting back and letting God, there's a responsibility that we have in this. So this is why you have in verse 3 words like avoid or or, or abstain, and even strong words like control or possess, that's to take ownership of your body and and holiness. There's a theme continually going through all this passage here. And to kind of, I guess, the best way to kind of contrast that, he says, listen, don't be like the Gentiles, the non-Christians, who have actually let their sexual cravings take control of them. And they're living their lives ultimately to please themselves, not interested at all to please God. This is not who you guys are. So he speaks of the personal aspect of, of avoiding and abstaining and controlling, and then he speaks of the corporate aspect as a community as well. And this is why he says... That when someone violates the rights of a brother or sister and takes advantage of them, particularly in this context, sexually, and actually probably the bigger picture, in any other way, at the heart of it, it's the most selfish act. They're thinking about themselves. They're not loving their brother or sister as they're commanded to. That is not pleasing to God. That's not a life that is set apart for God and his purposes. This actually dishonours God. So this is a picture of what it means to please God in the area of sex and sexuality. That it is the honouring of others that is esteemed really high. Now remember how I said the history of this church, they're facing significant challenges around, they're living in this culture. Now notice what Paul doesn't just say, he doesn't just go and say just stop it, just don't do it. He goes much deeper than that. He explains to them that, church, you are in a process of becoming more like Jesus. Actually, Jesus is at work in his bride, his church, refining her for his return. And this is why you can't live like this no longer, both individually and corporately. So friends, as we consider these verses, we need to be asking the question, is this true of us? Are we avoiding any kind of sexual passions and sin that we know are not not right, are totally against how God would want us to live? Or are we entrapped and constantly running to those passions? Most of the research that's coming out in relation to pornography and the use of pornography, particularly in the pandemic, has gone sky high. It's, it's rocketed so high. So many people continually watching these things, and I'm sure there may be even some in our context right now struggling with this. And there are those of us who are in dating relationships. There's the pressure of your culture and yourself that constantly says, give in to that pressure and compromise on God's design for waiting. See, we know that the topic of sex and sexuality, particularly in the Australian culture, the culture is constantly redefining it. That is, ultimately still say, fulfill your passions. You be you. Whether you're single or married. I mean, you can see the, the variety of TV shows from things like Love Island or The Bachelor or The Bachelor Red. watching shows that say, Bring them in before you. You choose. You have your way with them as you please. But this sort of, um, this sort of glossy picture of what's called by romance. And maybe even our kids, for those of us who are parents, our kids are constantly being discipled about sex and sexuality by the songs and shows that they watch, rather than their parents or their grandparents. And sometimes us as parents and grandparents our temptation is rather than dealing with it with our kids, our family, we actually handball it. Handball it to the Christian counselor, handball it to the youth pastor, handball it to the youth leader, to handball it to fill the gap. So here's the thing. For those of us who know that we are followers of Jesus, God has called us to a particular standard of life. Motivated by pleasing him, submitting to his process of sanctification and knowing this is God's will, this is why we avoid sexual immorality both individually and corporately. And friends, we know, even today, sadly, in our day and age, whether churches or Christian organisations, Individuals who work for these kind of groups who have declared that they believe in Jesus and the gospel and they've even preached sermons have grievously abused others for their own selfish gain. And we know that even in recent times there's been many faith heroes who have faced these accusations. Friends, I must make a note now that if you're someone who has been sinned against We weep with you. We grieve with you. But we want you to know God has not turned a blind eye. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear in the passages in here with some really sobering truth, both for warning for them then and for warning for us today. Because the Lord is an avenger, the punisher in all these things he makes it very clear the Lord will avenge, that he will fight for those who have been abused, for those who have been abused by others, and particularly those who proclaim that they are followers of Jesus. Friends, if you have not already, I would implore with you, I would encourage you to seek counsel. And if you would like to chat to one of the pastors, please get in touch with us. So, the how. The how is to submit to God's process in Christ through sanctification as He makes you and I holy. And the other aspect of the how is to avoid, that is, to turn from all kinds of sexual sin. By remembering, firstly and foremost, who we are, that is, what we call to be holy, set apart. Now, this is nothing new. This is not an option for those of us who are followers of Jesus. This has actually been God's design from the first day of creation, that the people of Israel, even the first humans, were set aside for God's purposes, including their sexual life. Actually, even you remember when we were exploring Old Testament books and passages that constantly God would remind them, don't be like the nations around you. But often, when they turn away from God and they give into idol worship, what often follows was what? Sexual sin. They would compromise in this area. So, what Paul's teaching here is nothing new or radical, it's actually part of the biblical narrative. He's reminding this church, you've been set apart. You're a holy people set apart for God's purposes. This is why he's making it clear this is not an option. This is a command for God. This is serious. And if you don't take this seriously, church, if you ignore this or disregard it, you're actually disregarding the very words of God, his commands. He's coming back to that moment of the why to please God. Well, the why to please God is by uh, coming back. The reason why we please God is simply to please God. And how do we do this? We submit to God's process in our lives to becoming holy. And, and the aspect of that is we actively say no by avoiding these things. I praise God that it's all not all dependent on us. Did you see that in the verses there? The power of how to live this life is right there. It says, But God who gives his Holy Spirit. Oh, friends, that should bring you great joy and encouragement if you're a follower of Jesus. And if you and I actually were left to our own devices of trying to deal with this on our own strength as followers of Jesus, either you and I will feel so overwhelmed and so like we're just not getting this right and guilt and shame is overwhelming us. Or either we will think, okay, the best way I can do this is to add to the very commands of God and do further to-do and don't-do kind of lists. And what we end up doing is putting more things on our back or more things on others who will never achieve that mark, or we think that we're fine and pride will grow in us. Or the other thing is, if we don't see, see the seriousness of this, we don't actually take it serious. And so what we end up having is a skewed view of holiness, that we're holy on certain things, not on everything. But because of the Holy Spirit, we have the very resource, the power to enable us in His strength Not our own. He's the one who will push us to please God. He's the one who will cause us and empower us to submit to God's will in our lives. He's the one who will convict us of sin. He's the one who reminds us. Friends, what we have in front of you and these words for you and me is it is God's grace. Sanctification is all of God's grace. The gift of the Holy Spirit, his helper, is all of God's grace. It's a call, actually much more just a moral thing. It's a deep heart change. What we're called to do is to ask, ask for help from the Holy Spirit, to live lives that will walk to please God. We're called to ask the Holy Spirit to work in us, to continue the work in Christ that has begun in us, and we we, we ask him to empower us to submit to God's sanctification in our lives. We ask for his help to grow in us a, a better biblical understanding of sex and sexuality, that it's a gift not to be abused or for selfish gain in any way that we ask the Holy Spirit to help us to live as one who don't belong to this world, but belong to Jesus, both individually and as a church. And we also learn to listen in those moments when the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. So what is the Holy Spirit saying to you, to me, this morning? And we might be tempted to now skim over those verses at the end. But see, when a life that is so captured by desiring to please God, a life that is empowered by the Spirit of God to submit to His will in living, not for ourselves, but for our God, we then pushed even further to actually love our brothers and sisters in Christ. So have a look with me in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 to 12. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you brothers to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. See, God's will in making a community that is more like Jesus is actually to push them further to one another. And in verses 11 and 12, now we know this loving one another has already been picked up before, but in verses 11 and 12, you have this countercultural thinking, particularly in that time. See, as a Christian community is committed to living to please God, when a Christian community submits to God's will of becoming holy and being sanctified, well, Things change. They don't live lives that are committed to being recognized or known. Actually, they're called to live quiet lives is the language here. Now, this is not a statement by the Apostle Paul to somehow say to this particular church, and some of them I think were leaning that way, which is to now sort of go and live out in the Yarra Valley in a little commune and and wait for Jesus' return. I don't know, what he's speaking of here is don't be a busybody. Don't run around being a busybody. Rather, focus what God has in front of you. Actually, mind your own business. And this is where he says about using your hands. In other words, don't be idle. It's connected with this language of don't be the Holy Spirit. For others. You get on with what's in front of you. You focus on what God's called you to be. That is to live a life pleasing to God. That is to, uh, to submit to his sanctification work in your life. And that is to love one another. And then so continue to live in this culture. Work in this culture. So that those who look at this church, this community, they don't go, oh, wow, these Christians are just doing nothing. They're a bunch of bludgers. I think maybe the, this church, they had that sort of temptation that maybe some of them thought, okay, I need to abstain. So one way to abstain is actually by telling everyone to stop, including the world around us. Or maybe they thought abstaining meant that, I don't know how I can live this holy life, so I'll just head off to the hills. You know, they are called to be holy. They are to live lives to please God by submitting to God's process and working their lives through sanctification. But it's not to call them to retreat from the world. Rather the very actions and how they live as they live a life pleasing to God, as they love one another, it displays to an outside world that this community is belonging to God. That's the that same true for us today, isn't it? You and I still need to continue to grow in our love for one another more and more. And if you want to know how to pray for Canterbury Gardens, pray that prayer. Church, if we need to be a family that needs to spend less time focusing and looking around us in the world so much, that leads to much busyness, so much focus, maybe what we need to actually do is mind our own affairs and work in such a way, whether it's at home, at school, at uni, at work, even in the season of retirement, whatever season you are, so that when the outsiders see us, when the outsiders watch us and hear us, they see that we're living lives pleasing to God committing to the process of God making us holy, loving one another, so we end up becoming more and more dependent on him and they see Christ in us. You know, at the heart of this, it's a wonderful reminder to you and I, it's a wonderful picture. All of this is not possible if Christ had not come. It's a reminder that there was always one who was committed 100% to live his life on this earth to please the Father. That Jesus is the Holy One, the One who controlled His body perfectly. The One, even though was tempted, did not sin. The One who was without sin, who became sin on our behalf. It is because of yours and mine's self-focused, selfish lives that Christ had to go to the cross. So the Righteous One dies for you, the Righteous One dies for you and for me. And because he is God on the third day, he was raised again. Because he has conquered sin and death. He's brought us grace and peace through his precious blood. And so if we proclaim that he is Lord, he commands you and me and us as a church to live lives pleasing God alone. This is the why. This is why we're called to live a holy life, to please him. And that he's actually begun a good work in us through that process of sanctification, this is his will for you and for me. That he's sealed us with the Holy Spirit, the one who's the helper, the one who is actually with us in this road that God has called us to follow him in as he empowers us to say no to sin. Just going to have a drink here, Josh. So, if you're a follower of Jesus, are you trapped and caught in living a life that's ultimately pleasing yourself rather than pleasing God? What is it that you need to surrender to Jesus and confess to him? Is your view of sex and sexuality being shaped by what Jesus and the Bible teaches, or is it ultimately based on what the world is saying? Have you slipped on that? Have you dropped the ball on it? Grace is available if you confess that to Christ. He wants to walk with you in this. And church, our aim as a church, if we're just known to be that church that's so moral, with no Jesus, we've missed the point. Our aim is not to be known as a moralistic church. Rather, we are called to be a church in process, to live quiet lives, so we bear witness to Christ's work in us. I know there are many of you in the midst right now battling constantly with this particular area of sexual sin. Whether it's those things that you're watching you ought not to watch, whether if you're a male or a female, whether you're struggling with a variety of things in your life. You might be sitting there thinking, I'm constantly dropping the ball." Oh, Christian friend, if Christ is the Lord of your life, He's at work in your life. Maybe what you need to do is probably step back and reflect where you were 12 months ago, 5 years ago, and where you are now. And if you still feel like you haven't moved forward, reach out. Talk to a mature Christian friend who will walk along with you. Reach out to us pastors. We'd love to journey with you in this area if you're a mature follower of Jesus who have been running this race for a while, do you and I still need the cross? And I pray that you've said yes. You and I will always need to see the cross with such big, huge and greatness. We are still in need of the cross so that we may submit to God's will in our lives. Parents, who's discipling our kids in the area of sex and sexuality. And so I, with that in mind, I just want to share some tools that my family and I have found helpful, particularly in this topic of sex and sexuality. Uh, we've got friends of ours in our church here at, who work and focus on the family and also power to change. Great family ministries. I would encourage you to go to their websites. Plenty of resources on there. Here are some things that we found as a family helpful. If you have a kid that's aged between 7 and 10 and want to begin, begin to discuss. Discussion about sex and sexuality. There's a lady by the name of Patricia Werikunen, and her books are up here on the screen, who's written these books designed to help you to journey with your kids and have those conversations. And the sad reality is sexual abuse is around in our culture and always has been. And so to help your kids understand from a godly perspective how God has made them to, to protect their bodies... From a Christian perspective, we would invite you to maybe consider this book. It's up here on the screen, God Made All of Me. In our culture, and particularly in in Victoria, and particularly in our state, and particularly in Australia in general, there's this constant language going on of sort of uh, redefining what's sexuality, and redefining sex, and redefining whether if they're male or female. The Bible's description is very clear, but if you want to kind of engage with your kids on this particular topic... Uh, there's a great little book up here on the screen called Boys and Girls, How God Made Me. So this is a great little book. And finally, a couple other things to consider. Uh, if you're someone who's really struggling with porn addiction uh, and has been for a while and you keep keep on going back and forth, uh, this is a great little book. It helped me in my own journey for, me, for many years. And this book was really, a, a, um, I guess, a, a pivot, a, a point of change for me. It's up here on the screen called Finally Free. Fighting for purity with the power of grace. I quoted David Paulson earlier. He's written this book called How Does Sanctification Work? Uh, if you want to dig deeper, I would encourage you to do that. And finally, if you're someone who has been abused, we pray that you are seeking counselling. Uh, but if you desire to read something, this is a book written by um, uh, Justin Holocombe and Lindsay Holocomb called Rid of My Disgrace. So, friends, as we close, as followers of Jesus, the why we say no to sin is to please God. As followers of Jesus, his will for us is to submit to his work in our lives as he makes us holy. As followers of Jesus, we are dependent on the Holy Spirit to empower us to live a life of truth and love, loving God, loving one another, and be witnesses in the world that he's called us to live in. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for the joy and privilege to know you and be known by you. Oh Lord, would you please help us to live holy lives in order to please you alone? Would you continue your will in our lives and sanctifying us, making us more holy day by day as we depend on a new Holy Spirit? Maybe be people who are known not to be idle, but are committed to loving one another, loving you, being witnesses in this broken world, either till you call us home or till your return. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks, church family.